0: This episode is brought to you by The Message, a new podcast series from GE Podcast
1: Theater.
2: Hi, Nikki Tomlin here, and I'm the host of The Message. I'll be following a team of elite cryptographers as they decode a highly classified radio transmission. To sum it up, extraterrestrials. The Message on iTunes.
0: This episode of Futuropolis is brought to you by Braintree. Looking to set up payments for your business? Braintree gives your app or website a payment solution that accepts just about every payment method out there with one simple integration. Plus, they'll give you your first $50,000 in transactions fee-free. To learn more, visit braintreepayments.com future. When I was in elementary school, my
3: dad bought me the first Harry Potter book, and he was really excited about it, but not because of the book. He was excited because he bought it on Amazon.com in the late 1990s. At the time, Amazon was just an online bookstore and didn't have anywhere near the speed of that same day shipping. But clearly my dad was better at seeing the site's potential
0: than childhood me was because I was not that impressed. And he was right. It didn't take long for Amazon to start appearing in headlines dubbed the killer of the local bookstore. And that was before it expanded its wares. Yeah, now I buy the most
3: ridiculous things on Amazon, like face lotion and cheese graters and fermentation
0: vessels. How many fermentation vessels do you need? Okay, just one. I only bought one. Okay, But someday, you might buy things in a very different way. Today on Futuropolis, we're talking about the next revolution in shopping and what kinds of futuristic technology will get us there. I'm Brianna Draxler. And I'm Lindsay Cradwell.
3: We'll get to more about online shopping later. But first, let's take a look at how technology changes the way we shop in stores.
0: Last year, Alo's Hardware Store in San Jose rolled out a robot to help customers find what they were looking for. The Oshbot, as it was called, could quote-unquote understand English and Spanish. You just had to say what you were looking for, you know, nails or plumbing supplies or a new shower curtain, and the rolling robot would guide customers to the part of the store they were looking for.
3: That's actually a pretty great idea. I get lost a lot in hardware stores.
0: But then there's the technology that's not so visible. In the last episode, we talked about sensors that track athletic performance. And believe it or not, retailers are also monitoring what you do when you're shopping.
3: So you know those little black spherical cameras you see peeking down from the ceiling when you're browsing the store? Well, it turns out they aren't just for preventing theft. In many cases, they're being used to see where customers are looking in the store and how long they're looking and what things have caught their eye.
0: Tracking data is a big part of Ray Burke's job. He's the director of the Customer Interface Laboratory at Indiana University. And he spends a lot of time analyzing how customers behave in stores so he can figure out how to make the store experience more, well, shoppable, as he calls it. And he says cameras are just the beginning.
1: Um, Eye tracking is another technology that's being used in some environments. So, you know, as as the shopper is is looking at a digital sign, the sign's looking back at the shopper.
0: These digital signs are a good way to figure out what customers want, so retailers can change the way they organize their store. For example,
1: and it's measuring, you know, how many people walk past the sign, how many people stop. So we can distinguish between, you know, if the person in front of the sign is is a female or a male. We can group people into broad age groups. We can um, uh, classify people uh, based on their ethnicity.
3: And stores also want to personalize your shopping experience even further. Here's Ray again.
1: So let's say that you're wearing uh, a watch that can measure your pulse rate. We could use that information to know on a second-by-second basis how excited the shopper is. If we're able to track what music people listen to on their devices, uh, that may give us some insight into the mood of the shopper.
0: That goes back to Walt Disney's philosophy, which I think is really true. If you're happy, you're more likely to buy things. But that whole watch thing also sounds kind of freaky. I don't know if I want
3: stores to know my pulse or my mood, but according to Ray, I might be an outlier.
1: There is a new generation of customer who is going to be comfortable with or even come to expect that the message that they see is going to be different than the one that other shoppers see. And it's going to be contingent on um, where they are, information about the, the person, maybe their past purchase history, the demographics, their, their recent search history, so that the message is relevant to them.
0: That's
3: where online shopping comes in. In August 1999, popular science was just beginning to learn the virtues of online shopping. For a while, communication technologies that were proliferating faster than useful purposes for them looked to me to leave no greater legacy than a new and not necessarily better way to order pizza. Online commerce can seem like a whole lot of silicon for just so much silliness, but I've changed my mind about the way the internet can make one chore more palatable. I'm referring to the bane of my weekend to-do list, grocery shopping.
0: It's about the same time that Peapod was gaining popularity. And I think that even more and more of those apps are happening today. Every time I ride the subway, I see a new ad for an app to deliver me takeout, or a mattress, or a weekly supply of paper towels. And that's thanks, in large part, to the
3: fact that delivering things has gotten so darn fast. Delivery methods have improved dramatically since Popular Science wrote about the Postal Service's upgrade in March 1971. At the moment, our post offices are about as modern as President McKinley's mustache cup. Don't despair. The Postal Service has at last taken the giant step into the computer age with a clutch of ingenious devices to sort out the great mail mess.
0: And delivering things you order online could get even faster. Amazon, for example, is testing out delivery drones, and in many parts of the country, you can get your goods shipped straight to your door the same day you ordered it. Okay,
3: so I'm basically convinced. Why would anyone want to leave their apartment to go to a store?
0: Well, for one, not everybody lives in an apartment in New York City without access to a car or a Costco. True. But there's also just something about being able to go somewhere and buy something in person. I mean, I want to try on a pair of pants to know that they're going to fit and be comfortable before I buy them. And of course, there's the holiday displays at Macy's. I mean, those are fun, just to go to see them.
3: Okay, so you're saying that brick-and-mortar stores
0: aren't going away. Not even close. People still do a lot of shopping in them. And your good old friend Amazon, the killer of local brick-and-mortar stores everywhere? Yep, they've opened a brick-and-mortar bookstore in Seattle. Go figure. And you know, as
3: bizarre as it sounds, it actually might make sense. As Scott Emmons, head of the Innovation Lab at Neiman Marcus says,
4: It's clear that Digital, you know, online shopping continues to become more and more important. We also think it is pretty clear that retailers that have both physical and online presence actually have an advantage.
0: And Neiman Marcus is no spring chicken. They've been around since 1907, so they're working on getting ahead of the game with all those flashy delivery startups.
3: And that's one reason why they have these touchscreen tables. So inside the store, you can walk into the shoe section and there's a giant tablet screen that allows you to see everything that's available online. So that means you can browse more stuff and the store doesn't have to stock at all.
0: And then there's something Scott calls retail theater. To get people back in stores, they're offering something special like the memory mirror. This is a device they have in fitting rooms that uses HD cameras to create a 360 degree video of you trying on an outfit. Then instead of craning your neck to see how it looks like from behind, you can actually take a step back and look at the video on your phone and see how this outfit looks on you, physically on you from any angle. And you can send that video to your friends or your mom or whoever to see if it actually looks as good as you think it does. The
3: mirror is just the beginning. Here's Scott again.
0: As the technology continues to improve,
4: we will see, uh, you know, a lot more augmented reality types of of plays uh, in the store. And I think the early attempts at it, you know, have been sort of Uh, you know, more like a paper doll effect than, you know, actually looking like I'm wearing the outfit. But, uh, uh, you know, I think with the processing power and, you know, kind of uh, uh, improvements in technology that we're not that far off where we're going to be able to pull that off in a very realistic
3: way.
0: I can see it now. Next time I try something on, I'll be asking Google Glass whether this particular shade of red works with my skin tone.
3: Okay, so taking this one step further, maybe we won't actually have to try anything on.
4: As we uh, go down, the, uh, once again, down the path of virtualization, your try-ons will uh, you know, get a lot simpler and it may not always involve the physical garment.
3: So the way we shop in the future might be much easier and more high-tech than today. So we're not done exploring the future of shopping. To go deeper, we talked to Devorah Rogers and David Mounts, and they both work at Inmar, a technology company. And they've got a lot of thoughts on what retail will look like in the future. But first, a quick word from our sponsor.
0: This episode is brought to you by The Message, a new podcast
1: series from GE Podcast Theater.
2: Hi, Nikki Tomlin here, and I'm the host of The Message. I'm going to take you into an elite cryptography think tank and check it out. Their top project right now is to decode a highly classified radio transmission from the 1940s.
5: Have you listened to it yet?
2: Not yet. Uh, We're having a discussion about that. But if I offered you the chance to listen to it right now... Um, Sounds like a no.
5: Well, we don't really know what it is. Voices, music, breathing. But, you know, I'm not gonna mess with that thing.
2: To sum it up... extraterrestrials. Subscribe to The Message on iTunes.
3: Now back to the show.
5: My name is David Mounts. I'm the CEO for Inmar. We are in 100,000 retail locations, uh, about 5,000 hospitals, and about 9,000 food and drug manufacturers. And every time You go out and shop, you use a coupon or a digital coupon or get your prescription filled. We're behind the scenes making that happen.
6: My name is Devorah Rogers, and I head up marketing and insights at Inmar.
0: So when we're talking about shopper behavior, how is technology involved in that?
6: Technology informs a lot of our shopping experiences today. And and every day, every week, every month, there's more technology supporting those experiences but the truth is is that when you think back to shopping 40 years ago, when maybe you know your mom or grandparents were shopping, it, in a lot of ways it's remained remarkably unchanged, so that when you go to the grocery store and you go down the aisle um, and you're looking for products, the, the way it was, you know, in the 1960s is kind of how it's been up until very recently. What's exciting is that as technology has advanced and all of us are carrying smartphones now, smartphone usage is basically ubiquitous in the United States today, we have a scenario where shoppers are bringing technology with them into the store and are suddenly empowered by that technology in ways that were never before possible. So that means that they can access information. It means that they can look at reviews. It means they can check prices. And so one of the most transformative ways that shopping has evolved quite recently is through that smartphone. But today, so much of it still requires us to go looking for information. And when we think about the future of shopping, we think of a time when information will come to us when we need it without all of the clutter that today sometimes, all the clutter and all the work that is required.
0: And so what is, what kind of clutter and work are, are you referring to?
6: So, there's a ton of information available at our fingertips, but you have to go look for it and you have to sort through large amounts of information, that sort of massive data that exists out in the web, out in the, the, the atmosphere, if you will. What we're looking at is really around getting the right piece of data to the right shopper at the right moment so that their experiences can increasingly become personalized but effortless.
0: And what might that look like in an ideal world?
5: Imagine, for example, every time you uh, select a particular product, that you know uh, all of the ingredients of that product immediately are fed back to you as to how your body responded the last time you consumed some of those ingredients. Or uh, imagine it uh, automatically identifying any interactions with any medicines that you might have. Ideas around little data to uh, advance our personal pursuits and goals are going to be one of the biggest new opportunities for all of us, and it will be effortless because the data that we need uh, that is exogenous and all of these different places today will all come together surrounding us and surrounding our particular goals.
0: And so when you say little data, how do you distinguish that from big data? Are we just talking about it on a personal level?
5: You know, it's great there's all this big data flowing around in the world, but the most important one, I think, is the advancement of the individual uh, and their goals. And so what data is important to me? Think about, for example, today you, you probably have some sort of uh, uh, exercise measurement device that is uh, keeping track of your activity throughout the day or the calories that you consume throughout the day. They impact our behavior because they provide feedback as to whether or not we hit our particular goals.
0: So, Devorah, how could a store use this little data to its benefit?
6: A store can use little data to create remarkable retail and shopping experiences. That's really the goal, the ability to personalize all of our experiences, to make things faster, more efficient, more meaningful. You think a lot about the future in regards to technology where there's massive screens and massive technology. But the truth is, the, the story that David tells around little data is where little moments can become much more powerful than machines or (laughs) uh, robots or um, flat screens all around us. It can be about, imagine as you walk down the store, either with your monocle or your augmented reality empowered glasses, whatever it'll be, there'll be some way of tapping into that little data, that me data that says, this product is right for you. Your child likes this product. This product goes best with your current wellness goals. Here's a score that you can look at around how these products tie together.
5: Brianna, do you have a favorite seasonal fruit?
6: Favorite
0: seasonal fruit? I am a fan of the kiwi. Does that count as seasonal?
5: Yeah, so well, I I guess it depending on what part of the world you're in that that might be true, but but let's just let's take your example of of a kiwi and let's 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 take a a random point in time and let's say that it uh it becomes in season for delivery into the US. It's now November 10th, let's say, you know, today. And imagine that you're out shopping and much like Facebook is is uh is bringing back pictures from your past. Uh, you know your little data could advise that hey your your favorite seasonal food is here it's it's uh you could get notified as as soon as it is uh it's leaving um, uh leaving the farm it's on its way to your store and you become aware and start thinking about and planning your menu around sort of your favorite seasonal foods as they as they come available
6: and and the reverse is true as well if i'm a supplier or a grower of key And I want to add a little sticker that's connected to that Internet of Things that we talk about so much. Suddenly, everyone has visibility to every part of the process. And we know, has something been damaged? Has the fruit been exposed to conditions that aren't ideal? And so what that enables us to do is to have and ensure much better, higher quality experiences from the moment that a fruit is picked till it's delivered, till it gets to your house, and kind of create this huge cycle of, of information going back and forth that ultimately serves to improve the shopping experience for everyone.
0: It sounds pretty great to have that much information. I wonder, though, if, if there's a point at which it's going to be overwhelming to get a notification every time a kiwi is ready. You know, is there going to be too much data for us? So that's
6: a great point. And I think we're already at um, sort of our maximum capacity. You feel people and the overload that all of us feel with the information stream coming in. And that's where the personalization, that's where ensuring that it, that it, the information is truly relevant. We went down into sort of this fruit notification theme. But uh, the truth is that you should be able to select your experiences that that our devices, our, our shopping experiences should learn from the types of information that we want and don't want, what's important to us and what's not. So that's a key thing of, in terms of when we think about the future of shopping is, is the curation of the right types of thing, and that happening through machine learning, automated learning. You don't have to have somebody coding that constantly. It can begin to learn and, and grow and improve those experiences in terms of what information is right for us. I see. Yeah. So the the, the experience, the recent experience that I've had that for me best sums up what the future of shopping looks like is the experience of taking an Uber or ordering lunch through uh, a, a service like 24. And in that scenario, there's not a particularly a a robot that's delivering my food or taking me from one place to another. But it's the the automation, the technology underneath that connects humans in a way that requires us to have less effort. I don't have to take out dollars and negotiate a, a, a cab fee. I can have that all happen automatically so that I can focus on being in the world, experiencing another human interaction. And that's where that technology playing underneath the surface is really exciting to me. And so you think about that store of the future, and you think about an environment where it's not about self-checkout. <laughs> That's today what we're what we what technology has enabled. And most of us know how frustrating self-checkout can be. But instead, I think about stores where you can go in, talk to a human. Certain aspects of the experience will have been cared for. And whether you're you have bought your groceries online and come to pick them up, or you are going in store to select them, and and they'll be delivered to you. And so there is this profoundly human aspect to the future of shopping that I think when we got caught up in technology, we hadn't considered.
3: We'll be right back after this quick message from our sponsor. This episode of Futuropolis is brought to you by Braintree, code for easy mobile payments. Maybe you're working on the next Uber, Airbnb, or GitHub. Then why not use the same simple payment solution that helped them become what they are today? Braintree makes mobile payments so fast, easy, and seamless. It's almost magical. And talking about Braintree every week has got me thinking, when did we actually start sending money without sending physical money? So I looked it up, and it turns out that early wire transfers were zipping across the country via telegraph wires, hence wire transfer, as early as 1871. So that's cool. Anyway. Add Braintree to your app with just a few lines of code, and you're instantly ready to accept Apple Pay, Android Pay, PayPal, Venmo, credit cards, and even Bitcoin. And if some other way to pay comes along, they'll support that too. Braintree's fast payouts and continuous support means you'll always be ready, whether you're earning your first dollar or your billionth. See fewer abandoned carts and more sales with Braintree's best-in-class mobile checkout experience. To check it out for yourself, visit braintreepayments.com future.
0: And we're back. And as we're describing these scenarios in the future, they all seem to still involve physical stores. How is online shopping going to come into this? Or will that not be as, it seems almost ubiquitous now, but how does that come into play in this future scenario?
6: So we do a lot of research into shopper behavior, and we just completed a large study that looked at the behaviors of those who buy online, those who research online but buy in-store, those who go into the store but buy online, and those who ultimately do the bulk of their shopping and purchasing in-store. And what's amazing to see, first of all, the number of people that are purely using online shopping is still relatively small. So lots and lots of people, majority of folks who are ultimately doing the bulk of their shopping in the physical environment. But there's this really fascinating group of folks who are not just researching online and then purchasing in-store, That we've been seeing for a long time, this sort of growth of, I want to research things online via my computer or mobile device, and then I'm going to go into the store and complete the purchase. We're now starting to see the reverse where people want to go into the store, have a quick check-in, touch the object, talk to an associate, make that as quick and efficient as possible, and then they go home or they go to their mobile device and they complete the purchase that way. So the reverse of clicks to bricks, essentially bricks to clicks. And to me, I look at that group, and by the way, that's one of the younger groups. They're the most technology-enabled. They use a lot of sources to inform their purchase decisions. And I look at that group, and to me, that group is the future. They represent what what shopping may look like in in 5, 10, 20 years.
0: Are there certain types of stores where... This will just be more innate that we can, you know, have groceries, for example, be more intuitive and easy to handle. But how about a car or electronics or things that we want to have more of an experience with before we buy them?
6: I think that we're going to see increasingly cool, very experiential retail experiences. So, you know, rather than having to go to a car lot and walk around for a whole bunch of time, there may be a scenario that's very disruptive to the way we currently think of going and purchasing automobiles, um, where there's maybe it's a smaller space, maybe it's you can kind of try the car virtually. Um, there'll be different ways of experiencing products than we know of today.
5: And, and I think some of the new business models, for example, subscriptions, will make their way in to certain types of products. I think it'll be category-specific. So why for example can't you just subscribe to um, a certain number of automobile sedans and uh, drive a different sedan every quarter i mean you you make a monthly car payment now why does it have to be on one car Uh, people already fractionally share airplanes Uh, there's no reason why the same uh, can't be done it probably would not work as well for example to subscribe to a washing machine. Uh, You probably just want to buy one and make sure it works and it's in your house and does what you need it to do.
6: You know, we talk a lot about the sharing economy and for a couple of years, especially certainly with the growth in Airbnb and Uber, the sharing economy has kind of been this hot ticket and will it replace, you know, the way in which we pay for things. And in fact, what many hotels have found is that they're just as busy as they ever have been. Um, and that people continue to travel, and it's driving uh, a, a great deal of, of growth um, for hotels as well. And I, so I think the idea of pulling back on the sharing economy a little bit and finding this hybrid model, like David mentioned, where there, there may be a, a subscription shared service that allows you to have experiences that in the past, the business models didn't work.
0: Are there other transformative technologies that you think maybe even a little more outlandish but could become a part of the shopping
6: experience I'm pretty bullish on the internet of things and the way in which all objects in our life will be connected to some source and so the idea that our clothes could talk to us and you know tell us about their past or ensure their quality the way in which you know it's kind of captured a little bit in amazon dash that Everything in our home can be connected and have a purpose to uh, better improve and make our lives more efficient. For me, there is no end to what the world will look like when every object phones home.
0: That's it for this episode of Futuropolis. If you want more, you can find us at PopSci.com or on Twitter at PopSci. Futuropolis is part of the Panoply Network. Check out the entire roster of podcasts at itunes.com slash panoply.
3: We'd like to thank Andy Bowers, Henry Malofsky, and Laura Mayer at Panoply. Thanks to Nicole Liu for her research and production help on this episode. And thanks to our lovely old-timey Sophie Bushwick for being the voice of our archives. I'm Brianna Draxler. And I'm Lindsay Cradwell. Thanks for listening. See you next time. In the future.